Hey everyone, welcome back to the Westbridge Church Podcast. To learn more about Westbridge Church, including our service times, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com. We hope this week's message encourages you to take your next step in your faith journey. Sally Stewart. For those of you who don't know me, um, my husband is Matt. We have a junior in high school named Lucas who, who are also here. Um, many of you, if you have any preschoolers in the preschool Sunday school program right now or have had, um, may know me by my name, Miss Sally, or more familiar, Hey Teacher. Um, for those of you who just dropped your children off to me a few minutes ago, don't worry. They are having a great time with uh, Rachel and Kimmy, probably having their goldfish crackers right now. So I'll get back there in just a few minutes. Um, I'm not here this morning to talk to you about the children's ministry, although I'm sure Kimmy and Lindsay would be thrilled to have you. Uh, if you're interested, talk to them. I know they're looking for uh, volunteers for the day camp. Um, I actually this morning was talked, uh, asked to talk about the 21-day Go Reach training program uh, that is going on right now. Um, a couple of decades ago, I used to be a school teacher, so I like classroom and audience participation. So um, please raise your hand if you are receiving those text messages every morning right now for the, the Go Reach training program. Great. Um, so if you're not, or if you're not sure what that is, uh, about two weeks ago, the church started sending out uh, short videos every morning about 7 a.m., um, which is sort of an evangelism training program uh, for those who have signed up for it. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. Evangelism is not what I would consider my strong suit. Um, so when I heard about it, at first I was like, I don't know about that for me. Um, then I was asked to talk this morning. So I decided I better sign up for it. Uh, so I did. <laughs> and I've been receiving those uh, along with a lot of other members of the church every morning. And like I said, what this is, is um, John and Tyson giving short videos. They're about a minute long, so it doesn't take up much of your time. Um, and each day has kind of a theme of the day or a word of the day that's intended to kind of train for how to be prepared to share your faith with, with others. And... Um, I was raised by an English teacher, so words are very important in my family. Um, and I know that in the initial video that was sent out, Tyson, kind of the pregame video, if you will, Tyson talked about a passage of scripture from 1 Peter 3.15, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, but it says, um, to always be prepared to give an answer whenever anyone asks you about the hope that you have. So as I looked at that, um, I noticed, and I don't think I'd ever noticed this before, but it talks about whenever anyone asks you about the hope that you have. So to me, if someone's asking you about something, that means that you've been doing something beforehand that has caused that person to be curious about something. I don't know about you, but I don't generally have people just randomly coming up to me asking about, about my faith. Um, so as I've been going through these, these videos, um, I think it was day three or four, the word or words of the day was open doors. And John was speaking in that video and talking about how she, we should be praying for God to open doors for us to share our faith, which is a kind of a big scary prayer when, you, when you're somebody like me and evangelism maybe isn't your strong suit. But as I was watching that video that day, it reminded me, I kind of had a picture that came into my mind of an album cover from a song that I had downloaded back in 2013. Um, I saw kind of the picture of this album cover, and um, it's a song by Jason Gray, who's a contemporary Christian artist, called With Every Act of Love. Um, and the album cover has probably 16 or 20 doors on it. They're all different colors. They're beautiful doors, probably from all over the world. It's a really, it's a really neat piece of artwork. 
And there's a, a line in this song, I think it's the bridge. My husband and my son are the musical folks in the family, not me. But I believe it's the bridge part of the song. And the lyric goes, um, God put a million, million um, doors in the world for his love to walk through. One of those doors is you. Um, and so as I've gone through these videos and have been listening, I've been trying to keep in mind um, to be an open door, to be an unlocked door, to be a door that God's love can come through. I know that personally, if I'm being honest, uh, most of the time I'm probably a fairly tightly locked door and God has to kick pretty hard to get it open. Um, so as I've been watching these videos, that day three or four video has been kind of where I've been going with that and trying to be that unlocked door. Whether it's, you know, at the grocery with the, with the cashier or at a restaurant with, with your server, or with your own family, with the people I work with. Uh, I'm trying really hard to, to be that unlocked door for God's love to walk through, to be one of those millions and millions of doors that he's put on this earth. Uh, and try to remember that lyric as I'm going through to that. So if you haven't signed up for the videos yet, there's still seven days to go. We're about two-thirds of the way through it. I'm sure that you can, can sign up still. Um, but like I said, the videos are very short, so you can even catch up um, without, without having to com commit a lot of time to it. It'll probably take you about 15 or 20 minutes to, to catch up. Uh, I'm sure the next seven days are going to be, uh, again, a word of the day that's going to be a theme that you can carry through. And for those of you who are already on board with this, um, let's just go forward and try to be an unlocked door for God. Thank you. Amen. Well, I didn't know what uh, Sally was going to be sharing this morning, but what she was going to be sharing actually ties in very perfectly to where we're headed. So that's what you call a win. Uh, go ahead and open your Bibles with me to Acts chapter 8. We're going to be in uh, the last portion of Acts chapter 8. Um, and, and for those of you who are back from spring break, welcome back. Um, I, I know uh, here, I, I was here, and, and we just had, a, had just a great week. We were able to do something very special. We hit a 70-degree day and a 20-degree day, all in the same week. And so it takes a very special place, like Indiana, to be able to accomplish such a thing. Uh, so, uh, this morning, what we're going to be reading and what we're going to be seeing from our uh, time together is one of the most incredible stories in the Bible. And, and there, there's a lot of incredible stories, but this is one of the most, and I know that's a bold statement, but before we get going, I'd like to do a little exercise. I'd like for you to raise your hand uh, in answering these questions. Uh, would you raise your hand if at some point this week, you're going to be doing some type of work? Raise them high. Okay, good. Uh, raise your hand if you're going to be sleeping. In any capacity. Very good. Okay. Raise your hand if you're going to be making or eating dinner. Okay. Excellent. Hanging out with family or friends? Very good. Okay. So what you've just acknowledged to me, uh, if you look back at last week and you look ahead to this week, they're probably pretty similar, aren't they? Our lives are filled with the mundane. Like, our, our lives tend to just be wildly ordinary. And yet, I'd venture to say that that's actually an okay, if not even a good thing, because in the ordinary, God loves to accomplish more than we might ever know. 
And so what we're going to be talking about this morning is the, the fact that we have an unstoppable gospel, and it's because of that gospel that God uses our ordinary, everyday lives to make an eternal impact. And so if you're just joining us this morning, uh, what we've been doing over the course of the last few months is working our way through the book of Acts. And we've seen this gospel, that, that is the good news about Jesus, we've seen it advance in some pretty incredible ways. Literally, it just says masses, thousands have come to faith in Jesus. But if you've been paying attention, in the first seven chapters, it's, it's really been limited to a specific area. It's been limited to the areas of Jerusalem and Judea. And so this morning, we're coming to a, a very transitional moment, a very pivotal moment in the entire book of Acts, that this gospel is not just uh, limited to a specific area or to a specific people, but rather this gospel is going to uh, cross through cultural lines. It's going to jump over ethnic barriers. It's going to break through socioeconomic divides. And like I said, our attention has mainly been up to this point in Jerusalem and Judea, but today what we're going to see is that this gospel is going to go to the ends of the earth. And so it's hard for me to overstate just how pivotal of a moment this is in the book. And this pivotal moment where God is going to accomplish something extraordinary is going to happen through a guy named Phil. No offense if your name is Phil, but if you don't remember uh, who Phil is, we, we met him briefly last week in Acts chapter 6. See, Philip, he, he was one of the disciples of Jesus, and he was uh, a part of the bread distribution, if you will, to the widows back in Acts 6. And, you know, he wasn't actually even in charge of the bread distribution. He was sort of like your assistant manager, if you will. Now, why, why do I say that? Well, just to be honest, like, do, does it get any more ordinary than being an assistant bread manager? It just doesn't. And yet... As we look at Philip, an ordinary believer, he is going to be the one who inaugurates, who starts the fulfillment of Acts 1.8, which if you remember, is Jesus himself saying that this gospel is going to go not just to Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, but to the ends of the earth. And so as we read through this story together, I'm going to highlight two truths from the story that I'd like us to see, and then we'll finish with uh, two implications for our lives together. But the first is this, that God is providentially working. God is providentially working. And, and when I say providentially, I, I mean his providence, that God is directing, he is guiding, he is governing all that there is in the world, in his wisdom, in his love, in his care. And so when I say that he's working providentially in this story, what I mean is that it's unmistakable who's orchestrating these events. It's undeniable who's in charge. And at the end of our time together, I'm going to talk about why that's such a comfort to us. 
But then the second thing that I'd like us to see is the example of Philip. See, if you were here last week, you'll recall uh, that the Bible is all about God, who God is and what God has done for us in the person of Jesus. And so I want to be careful because when we read our Bibles, we want to read them in the way that Jesus himself did. In Luke 24, where every story points to Jesus. So all of the heroes of the Bible, from Moses to David to Philip, point to Jesus. All the law, the prophets, they point to Jesus. The scriptures love to point us to Jesus. And often they do that through showing us faithful examples of followers of him. And so in the life of Philip, we have a faithful example that we too, as Jesus' followers, can learn from. And so what we're going to do is just read kind of verse by verse, and we'll pause along the way. But before we do, let me just pray. God, would you help us get from this text exactly what you would have for us? Just ask that you would teach us. Help us to see what you want us to see, to learn what you want us to learn. We pray all this in Jesus' beautiful name. So, Acts chapter 8, verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Okay, let's, let's pause. From the very first verse, we see that God is the one providentially working. The angel of the Lord, that is God himself, instructs Philip to head from the city of Samaria and go south down to Gaza, about a 60-mile journey. But I don't want to rush too quickly past this, because I I, I would like for you to put yourself in Philip's shoes. There has just been this huge gospel outbreak in the city of Samaria, and Philip's played a role in that. They have just seen people who were paralyzed be able to walk. They have seen people who were deathly ill be healed. They have seen people who were so unlikely to come to faith in Jesus, and they have. So much so that if you look back in the early verse of uh, verse 8 in chapter 8, you'll see that the gospel has taken root in this city in such a way where the city itself is described as having great joy. This is a sermon for another time, but but it's worthwhile to note that the gospel has profound implications for our societies. But now, Philip, being in that area, seeing all that he's seen, being a part of all that he's been a part of, and now God wants him to go. And, and, And Luke, the author of Acts, he wants us to see this clear um, contrast. I I don't know if you saw the desert road. Literally, uh, in the original language, Luke doesn't want us to miss that that Philip is leaving this place of thriving, fruitful ministry and going to a desert. And like, look, I think sometimes we can can distance ourselves from the, the, the characters in Scripture. Um, I can't help but wonder, as that conversation between the Lord and Philip's happening, like, what Philip's thinking? Because, Lord, I've just seen some incredible things. 
are you sure you don't want me to stay apart? Uh, Are you sure you don't want me to stay here and be a part of what's happening here? Like, I'd love to plan a church. We can start something new. Like, whatever you want to do, Lord, well, I'd love to. And the Lord says, no, I want you to go. But Philip's example is one of obedience. You want me to go, Lord? I'll go. And it's worth mentioning that he's not told uh, who he's going to meet or even why he's going. But even still, the first thing that we see in Philip is an example of obedience. Let's keep reading verse 27. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandake, which means the queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home, he was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. And so we'll pause again. We're introduced to the next character in our story, this Ethiopian eunuch. He's a man of status, of power, of influence. He's in charge of the treasury. So you can think about it. He's almost like a modern-day CFO, if you will. In Ethiopia, when we think of Ethiopia, we think of it as the country of Ethiopia, understandably. But in, in biblical times, when it says Ethiopia, it's really referring to anything south of Egypt. All of Africa, anything south of Egypt, which means that the kingdom of Ethiopia was massive in those days. So much so that in ancient literature, Ethiopia is literally described as being the ends of the earth. So we don't know exactly where this man is from, but it was anywhere south of Egypt. But, but I don't know if you caught this. Did you notice that he has a scroll of Isaiah? How did this man get that scroll? Like they didn't have the modern day printing press, so this would not have been an easy thing to obtain. But once again, we see that God is providentially working. But Luke doesn't just draw our attention to the fact that the man is an Ethiopian, meaning that he did not look like Philip racially. They could not have been more different. But it wasn't just the ethnic differences. We're supposed to note that he was a eunuch. And I hope that you're asking the question that goes with good Bible reading, why? Like, why in the world is this man a eunuch? Because Luke's going to mention it four more times, and so it's important. And we won't go into much detail here uh, for your sakes, but essentially what that means is that the man had been castrated, that he was either celibate or he was impotent. Either way, this man was unable to have children. And and it was often men like these who were... uh, in charge and who would guard high government officials, specifically women, specifically queens. But him being a eunuch was not just the reality that he's not having children. There was something spiritual about that as well. Did you catch that he was coming from Jerusalem, the place where they would have gone to worship God? Some scholars say that this would have been anywhere between a 1,000 to a 1,200-mile journey, some four to six months. And then, once he arrived, 
what him being a eunuch would have meant is that he wasn't allowed past a certain point in the temple. He would not have been able to get into the inner court. He would have been excluded from full participation. In other words, what that means, he would have known full well that he was an outsider, both physically and spiritually. So this man of status, of power, of influence, he's searching. Like, that's what motivates you to travel some thousand miles. It's because his answers to his spiritual questions had not yet been answered. I can't help but wonder if he was tired of the gods that he was worshiping in paganism. I can't help but wonder if he was just weary with the emptiness and the dissatisfaction that he was finding in life. And so while on the outside, it seemed like he had it all together. He had money. He had power. He had influence. He's literally running a nation. But on the inside, there's nothing. And we know people like this, don't we? It's as the great theologian Augustine said that our hearts are restless until they rest in Him. Our hearts are restless until they rest in God. And so it's worth noting at this point just how different Philip and this Ethiopian eunuch would have been. They were different racially, they were different sexually, and yet the gospel that Philip has transcends um, social norms, it transcends culture, it transcends ethnic barriers, and that's very important for us because in that we learn that Christianity is not tied to a specific type of people. It's not tied to a specific culture. And we're headed for the day where, as Revelation would say, every tribe, every tongue, and every nation will be around the throne of God saying that salvation belongs to our God. So let's keep reading in verse 29. The Spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. Again, we'll pause as we keep moving, we see once again that Philip is spirit-led. He's sensitive to go when God wants him to go. And he comes alongside this chariot, and he joins it. I I don't know if you have this image, but it's almost like Philip is just jogging next to this chariot. I don't know how fast chariots are going. I don't know if Philip's super fast, but he's joined it. And then, Again, I can't help but wonder if Philip's, before that moment, he sees him afar off and he sees how different they might be. And I can't wonder, I can't help but wonder how many excuses could have come to his mind. Like, man, this is going to be awkward. This guy doesn't look like me. I don't know what I'm going to say. Is this guy even going to listen? And I think that's instructive for us because as you think about your evangelism, and what I mean by that is sharing your faith with people about Jesus, when you think about that, it's almost always weird. 
Initiating spiritual conversations is almost always strange, even when God tees it up, like in this situation. So, so I can remember a, a story from my own life when um, I was on a plane and there was an older gentleman who I was sitting next to, and uh, honestly, I didn't want to talk to him. Um, I had an earbud in. I, I was trying to give all the subtle signals to say I'd actually like to not talk. Um, and, and so I have a book open even, but this older gentleman enters into conversation with me. And he begins to ask me, you know, what I'm doing and uh, what I'm studying in school. And, you know, I'm telling him that at this time I'm doing a pastoral internship and uh, it means I'm in Bible school and that can always lead to all sorts of weird conversations. But I begin tr- quickly to ask him what he did and what he was up to. And come to find out this man's father had passed away. And he was flying home to go be at the funeral. And so I, I you know, he, he began to get a little bit emotional even and uh, could tell that he was a, a bit distraught by it. And so, you know, I said, I mean, so sorry for your loss. And uh, then put my earbud in and read, kept reading my book. And then it was probably 10, 15 minutes into that that I realized God has put this man next to me on this plane, and he's just shared that his father has died, and he's upset about this. Kyle, do you think that you should pray for him? And I'm not kidding. Here's the thought that came to my mind. Ah, that'll be weird. Or maybe it'll be weird not to. I just told him I was in Bible school and put studying to be a pastor, like maybe it'll be more weird not to. And so I take out my earbuds and just asked if I could pray for him. It ended up being a, a unique opportunity. So be willing to embrace what may be potentially awkward because in the example of Philip, we see a boldness as he runs up to the chariot. Verse 31, how can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me? So he invites Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of Scripture that the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who's the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here's water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away. And the eunuch did not see him again, but he went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about, preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. This is one of the last times we'll see Philip. But once again, God is providentially working. Because the passage of Scripture that the Ethiopian eunuch is reading from is from Isaiah 53. And there are few better passages to explain the gospel from the Old Testament than this chapter. 
that Isaiah in this chapter is talking about this suffering king, a king who was willing to give his own life even for people who had rebelled against him. That instead of uh, his, his people living in glad relationship with him, that they had rebelled against him. But this suffering servant, he had come, he had lived, he had died, and he rose from the dead so that all who would trust in him might have eternal life, everlasting joy and lasting satisfaction. And so we see the Ethiopian respond to the gospel at this point. And, and I'd, I'd just like to encourage you. I, I know some of you, you've been coming to Westbridge for quite some time now. And you've been exploring what it means to follow Jesus and what it means to, to trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. And I, I'd be remiss to not invite you to respond to this gospel just like the Ethiopian does here. To believe in Jesus, it is not an accident that you're here this morning. And from this story, we learn that there are no barriers that stops the gospel from getting through. No, your sexual background, your family background, there are no barriers. You only need to believe in Jesus. For others of you, you have believed in Jesus, but you haven't yet taken the step of baptism, where, where your faith goes public where you declare to, to this church and to the world that, man, I'm, I'm following Jesus regardless of the cost. But I can't help but wonder if, as Philip departs from the eunuch, if the eunuch kept reading his scroll of Isaiah, and he comes to just a couple chapters later in chapter 56, in that we see that there's a day coming when God's saving grace and saving work will go to the eunuchs and that God himself will give them something better than sons and daughters. He will bring them into the family, that no longer will they be outsiders, but they will be a part of the family of God. So in this story, I mean, it is an incredible story as we see for the rest of Acts, that the gospel's going to continue to go to the ends of the earth. But there's two implications that I think that this has for our lives today, specifically when we think about telling others about Jesus. If it's true that God is providentially working, that, that means that he's already at work in the people around you. And so we really just have two jobs when it comes to being a witness, if you will, for Jesus. And it's this, showing up and opening up. In the example of Philip, we see that he shows up and that he opens up. Sometimes we can so overcomplicate of like, golly, I don't know all the answers. I don't know what, how am I going to respond to this? And we can overcomplicate this thing when all we need to do is show up and open up. Now, if you've been following Jesus for, for any bit of time, you, you probably are not shocked by this idea. That, oh man, we, like it's probably not brand new to you that we should be telling other people about our great Savior. But what happens is, um, I don't know, call it a spiral of guilt, if you will. Because perhaps you're more of an introvert. Per, perhaps 
man, I just don't know how I would enter into that conversation. You don't feel like you have any answers. Uh, Or perhaps you try to force conversations in situations where it would be better to not force anything. But the big takeaway from Acts 8 is that God is providentially working in the people around you. And so that you only need to go about your day showing up. And perhaps it's in the mundane, it's in the ordinary, where you showing up becomes a gospel opportunity. So, so maybe you have a situation like this where you're just rushed off to some place and tell somebody about Jesus. Awesome, that's great. But for the most of us, it's going to be this week when we go to work, when we're around the dinner table. It's going to be in the mundane, in the ordinary, where God wants to use you to accomplish his extraordinary purposes. And so we, we ought to be praying, God, would you create opportunities for me to tell other people about you? I, I can remember so well when we lived in uh, Louisville, I used to do landscaping full time. And so in the middle of the summer, that's not just the most fun job. It was not my favorite job, just to cut grass and weed eat and mulch all day. Um, But that's where I was at, and so um, oftentimes my days would look like me showing up to work, and before I get out of the car, I'd pray something like this. God, help me get through today. And I mean, that's not like a bad prayer, right? Like, but the odds of me making it through the day are, are pretty high. Like, there's not some crazy piece of mulch that's just going to spear me in the side. Like, the odds of me making it through are pretty likely. And so it was actually through this passage that I realized, man, maybe I should uh, change just slightly how I'm praying. And so literally, what, what I prayed was, God, um, would you help me make it through the day? And if you want to use me or whatever, that's fine. Like, I think it was that inspirational, literally. Um, and so I, I walk into work, and uh, we, we have our team meeting, and then what begins to happen is that one of my coworkers watch, walks up to me, and he points at me and goes, Kyle, do you believe in God? And I was like, uh, y- yeah, I do. And he was like, okay, well, t- tell me what you believe about him. And so I, I'm like, all right, like, start to tell him about this God who rescues us and saves us from our sin. And then he's like, okay, hold on. I'm going to go grab somebody. And he grabs one of our coworkers and brings him over. And he's like, okay, start over. And at this point, honestly, I'm just more confused than anything. Um, but praying uh, the simple prayer of God, would you create opportunities? I want to be used by you. Because half of our job is simply showing up. And the other half is opening our mouths. We have to open our mouths in order to speak about Jesus. But again, did you notice in the example of Philip that he enters this conversation not with like, do you know where you're going when you die? But rather with, hey, what you reading? This is not a canned conversation. This is not some conversation that Philip already has planned out in his mind where he's just going to dump gospel truth on him. No, this is a a conversation that leads to Jesus through many different 
stories. And so too, in our evangelism, when we share about Jesus, it's not a one-size-fits-all approach. So may our prayer this week be, God, would you create opportunities? But also, would you give us courage to enter into those opportunities when you present them? And as we finish, I want you to consider all that God might do through our measly, ordinary efforts. Because perhaps you know this, that Like I said, this is one of the last times we even see Philip. He just fades off to the background. And it's unlikely that Philip and this Ethiopian ever met again. But if you know anything about church history, you know that it would just be a couple hundred years before the gospel would literally explode on the continent of Africa, so much so that some of the greatest theologians that we've ever known, from Tertullian to Athanasius to Augustine, are Africans. And I can't help but wonder if they would trace their spiritual lineage, if you will, back to the conversation between Philip and this Ethiopian. And so, as ordinary believers, may we be faithful to share this unstoppable gospel because it will make an eternal impact. Let's pray. God, so would you do just that for us? Would you create opportunities, even this week, as we all go back to work and back to school, would you create opportunities? But would you also give us courage to enter into them? We pray this all in Jesus' beautiful name. Amen. As we dismiss, just two quick announcements. Here in a couple of Fridays on April 15th, we will have a Good Friday service. That'll be at April 15th at 6.30. It'll be a time of prayer and reflection on the work that Jesus has done for us. And then we'll have Easter Sunday, that following Sunday. What a great opportunity it would be to invite a friend who doesn't know Jesus. So with that, have a great rest of your Sunday. You are dismissed. If you were encouraged by today's talk and believe it would be helpful for others, please be sure to subscribe or share. To experience other messages or find helpful resources, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com.